Totally Football Show. Today, after Tiger's Masters triumph, we've got all the major football questions. Who'll get teed off midweek? Who'll get let down by their clubs? And can Man United do a comeback despite, like Tiger, needing surgery at the back and often getting in trouble at home? Also, Liverpool Chelsea, Drake Curse update, and Seagulls dropping ahead of that massive Brighton Cardiff clash. That's all in Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Oh ho, listener. You lucky thing, because we've got some Michael Cox for you today. Hi, James. Plenty more of that on the way. Daniel Storey is in the house as well. Good morning. And they're joined by Ian Irving. Hey, James. Hi, Ian. You'll be speaking to the Premier League supporters around the world later on today through Fan Zone. I certainly shall, yeah. Do you know who your guest will be? Yeah, it's Dion Dublin is it? in the early one and Mark Bright on the late one, as always. It is the most eclectic programme of any kind. It amazes me every single time. You, you don't fail to get a gem from a corner of the globe that you never imagined. Last time we had a Huddersfield fan on from Canada asking if he could still be on next season when Huddersfield Town are a championship club, but of course the answer was no. No, <laughs> not unless he picks another regional side to follow. Well, he's a big Huddersfield fan, so yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think he's nailed his colours to the... Terriers massed firmly. Big events going on this week, Ian. Bournemouth blew the relegation fight wide open. Burnley maybe closed it up again. We'll see there's a massive game coming up on Tuesday as Brighton hosts Cardiff. And Fulham did a win because Everton. Now, big game was at Anfield. Very special Salah goal. Michael, I thought of you in the first half, actually, when Chelsea were looking very composed and resolute and all the kind of things I don't associate with Maurizio Sarri. Were you enjoying their performance? I thought they were the better team in the first half after a 10-minute spell of Liverpool pressure. I thought they were excellent at playing through the press, actually. I thought Jorginho, Rudiger and Luiz were were kind of tempting Liverpool up the pitch and they were pushing the ball beyond their lines really quickly. I thought Kante showed why Sarri likes him in that role. I thought Loftus-Cheek was quite good at almost playing as the big man because they didn't play with a proper striker. They could go direct to him. I mean, we've become accustomed to Liverpool they have really big spells of pressure at the start of both halves and then kind of tire. And it wasn't the first spell of pressure that did it. It was the, the spell after half time. Which was exactly the story last time Chelsea went to Merseyside, no? When they had that fine first half against Everton and then it all fell apart and they ended up losing 2-0. Exactly what happened here. Was was Rudiger going off for Christensen? Was that part of what changed? Yeah, partly. Uh, because, like... We've been mentioning there, Rudiger was actually playing a good role in the game. The issue that Chelsea had was as soon as he got the ball up to Edin Hazard, it felt like he was quite isolated. And unless he was going to take on two or three players at any given moment, which he can do, but it felt like that was the only way through it. I'd never like Hazard in that role, to be honest. Uh, it's been talked about loads, so I won't go over it again because it's boring. But he likes playing with Olivier Giroud. Chelsea win more matches when Olivier Giroud plays. So I don't really understand why Olivier Giroud doesn't play more. But like I say, it's been done to death really hasn't it can we think of a tactical reason that if Giroud's playing Hazard's yeah. out on the flank and against Liverpool's fullbacks would that be an issue yeah well the, the reason he, he he didn't play Hazard on the left is because he if you play on the left particularly against a team like Liverpool you are expected you're, or you're going to have to track back otherwise you're going to get potentially overlapped at, at left back and obviously Emerson Palmieri has just come into the team having said that I, I don't think the benefit you get from that necessarily outweighs the danger of of Hazard playing on the left where he prefers to play because it basically meant that unless they scored the perfect goal, Liverpool were pretty comfortable at the back. And the way Chelsea have defended, particularly away at the top six, they were always going to concede at some point. And as soon as they did, yes, they did have chances when Hazard then went to the left, but 
it kind of felt game over as soon as Liverpool scored the first goal. That first goal, was it a story of hunger? Well, it was a story of, of Jordan Henderson being in the final third and we should point out that he, he was the one that went to Jurgen Klopp and said, Gareth Southgate has played me here for England. I quite like it. I think I'm quite good at it. If, if the front three's getting a little bit stale, maybe it's a way of creating more space for them if I can get into the penalty area. And lo and behold, he gets there, chips the ball back and there's five yards of space for Sadio Mane to head the first goal in. So yeah, mm. fair play to Henderson for that because... And fair play to Jurgen Klopp for taking it on board and listening and going with it as well because it's given Liverpool's season a little push just when they needed it. Right. Fabinho as well is working now exactly the way that Liverpool intended when they signed him in the summer. He had a slow start to the season but you look at the way he sort of controlled midfield at times yesterday. His passing I think is is better than in Henderson. It's a bit more incisive at times and there's just a, a greater sense it feels to me of control now with Fabinho in that role and Henderson a little bit further forward. Barely had we had time to appreciate that opening goal. The Mo Salah had pulled something quite extraordinary out of nowhere. Yeah, and I think it's also worth pointing out that Henderson made a really good run for this goal as well, which dragged uh, Loftus-Cheek out of the space that Salah motors into. Obviously, there's still a hell of a lot for Salah to do from that position, um, but it was the key feature of the game. It was funny watching this on Sky because Liverpool went 2-0 up and Jamie Carragher was kind of imploring Liverpool to attack more and deliver the knockout blow, but everyone talked about the the Gerrard slip game in the build-up, but this was more like the one at Crystal Palace where they went 3-0 up and then collapsed because they were trying to score more goals. And that did worry me a little bit from Liverpool's perspective. They just, I think they do have a tendency to get carried away with uh, momentum and emotion. And, and that was a time really where they should have been killing the game. And Chelsea probably should have scored at least two goals. Right. I mean, there were the two hazard chances and the one when Azpilicueta probably should have pulled it back. So they did have a real wobble for 10 minutes. They were a lot better at controlling the emotion than last time, though. I mean, I've been hammered in here before uh, <laughs> and argued about this several times, about the emotion of that of that title push uh, with the Gerrard slip and Chris Dambull and all that sort of stuff. But I do think this time around there's a bit more measure to them. I understand exactly what Michael's saying there about them having that moment, having that wobble and, and sort of pushing for more and all this sort of stuff. But if you think back to that, I mean, the Chelsea game in 2014, you know, Chelsea were quite happy just to draw nil-nil. Liverpool should have just been happy to draw nil-nil. But like we say, the emotion and everything else mm. and people people lying in the streets, you can look that in two different ways maybe. But it just felt to me like it all got a bit too emotional last time. And actually... From Liverpool's perspective, I'm quite encouraged that we're not quite at those levels for them. Although they did have a, a dizzy 10 minutes or mm. so after the second goal. Mauricio Sarri goes to the bench and brings out a Gonzalo Higuain who's got the wrong kind of hunger. <laughs> He's just... Uh, I mean, I, I, you know, this is not just glorious hindsight. I wrote it at the time. I thought he was a, a wretched signing for Chelsea. Not just because he's not at it anymore, but because he's, he's such a still a big name that Sarri kind of feels obliged to turn to him because if you don't start either striker and then you bring off Olivier Giroud then Higuain's finished and he's already come out and said I'd like to stay at Chelsea next season if they're going to have a transfer ban this season then Chelsea might well want to keep him around particularly if Eden Hazard's going to leave so he kind of feels obliged to bring him on but yeah he's just not very good at the moment he has a couple of touches and everyone thinks oh he's playing nice he's playing nicely but you know, this is a guy who scored consistently throughout his career and he, he doesn't look like having chances at the moment at right. Chelsea it's easy in Sheva mode I think he is carrying a little bit too much weight. People in glass houses throwing stones. Um, but the, the the main problem is that Eden Hazard prefers to play with Olivier Giroud. Right. And he's right. made that completely obvious all season. And Sarri has basically ignored that. And in doing so, is, is probably annoying Eden Hazard as well as annoying Olivier Giroud. So. This season, 
Giroud, 17 starts, 15 wins, two draws. It, it may be that a lot of those games have been against weaker opposition, but Chelsea are winning matches with Giroud in the team. Already, Chelsea, despite this defeat, are still in the top four, two points ahead of Man United and three ahead of Arsenal. Man United, though, have a game in hand on Sarri's team and Arsenal have a whopping two, one of which you're going to be vis- watching this evening at uh, Watford. Yeah, Monday. tough game considering Arsenal's away record. That is true. As for the title, mention the winds of destiny, the raw emotion, the momentum powering Liverpool past each successive hurdle. But if City do win all their games, the title is theirs. The latest victory for City being that 3-1 uh, win over Crystal Palace and what looked like a not the easiest of fixtures. They struggle there historically, or they have struggled there. They struggled against Palace uh, in particular at home as well, of course, earlier on in the season. But simply, this game proved one thing to me, and it's a very encouraging sign for City, and that's that Kevin De Bruyne is back. Mm. It looks now like his fitness is up to the level that it needs to be. Um, We spoke to him, I interviewed him, I think it was um, February time, and he was saying, don't expect me to be back to my best until next season. The injuries have taken a lot out of my season and actually getting back up to full speed I'm going to need a pre-season and I wouldn't say he's back at full speed but when you watched him at Selhurst Park he's beginning to find those passes that you didn't see until he played them Uh, his fitness is there more his pressing's there more Uh, I think that's a massively encouraging sign for City Kim De Brunner by the way I read that that assist was his first in the Premier League for 336 days first this season in the Premier League two assists at Selhurst Park he'd not had one all year I think he had 16 in the league last season Crazy. I mean, c- considering considering the standard City have set again this year without arguably the best player from last season. I mean, Bernardo Silva's done a good job of filling the gap, but when I always think with De Bruyne, you watch him and he gets the ball and it, you don't even see what he sees and he produces passes. You're, you're up, you can be up at the back of the stand with a massive view of the whole pitch, you know, the perfect tactical view, the perfect view to pick these sort of passes. You don't see it and he sees it at pitch level in the heat of the midfield battle, I just I think he's an incredible player. There's an amazing player. video on YouTube, like 80 minute long video on YouTube of, of Michael Laudrup's passes. It's a passing compilation. And you can play an amazing game where when he gets a ball, you pause and guess where the pass is going to go. And you'll, <laughs> you'll get it right less than half the time, I promise you. It's amazing. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Aspo2K19 says, uh, if City are to drop points now, if at all, will it come versus Tottenham or Man United? I mean, Liverpool have got the easy running. There's absolutely no doubt about that. But City have got this head of steam that yeah, might depend on their result in the Champions League this week and their continued participation in that, that competition. But they are, they are better than every other side that they are going to face for the rest of the season in the league. So, so Liverpool have four more games. Cardiff away, Huddersfield at home. Newcastle away and Wolves at home. For Man City, five games. Spurs at home, Man United away, Burnley away, Leicester at home, Brighton away. Mm. It, it might be Burnley if they do drop points. At Burnley. It could be, yeah, because the record there, similarly like we're saying in Crystal Palace, has not been great. They lost there back in 2015. They won narrowly 2-1 with Burnley back in the Premier League, drew one all as well there. They, they have struggled a little bit against Burnley's style in the past too, so... Personally, I don't think they will drop points. I think they'll power through and win them all, to be honest. And I think Liverpool will as well. And it, it'll be the most cruel almost, title race ever, I think. Almost anticlimactic, having seen this incredible sprint. Generally, in title races, we 
need kind of light and shade and needs to be a little bit nip and tuck so oh they drew but oh they've lost the next day but when both teams just win every game it almost becomes anticlimactic surely there's a twist out there michael there's always a twist yeah if i had to bet i'd, I'd guess that city would drop points in one game but, but still win it on goal difference um i don't i don't know which of those games it will come against but they are tough fixtures to win all those five is i'd say improbable if both teams win all the games yeah Liverpool, I can't remember, someone tweeted this at the weekend, Liverpool will get to 97 points, which yep. means that the defeat to City would stop them not only winning the league, it would stop them being another invincible team by going the whole year unbeaten, and they'd also be prevented from being another Centurion team as well, all by that Crazy. one, all that by one that defeat. One, one defeat. Really shouldn't have lost that game, if only they'd known. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, they tried to win it, didn't they, I think. Yeah. <laughs> okay. A word right. for uh, Raheem Sterling again and Mohamed Salah, both of whom have kind of made the difference in their teams at the weekend, having suffered pretty horrible periods of, you know, with Salah's, the racist abuse of Salah last week again, mm. um, being investigated, it kind of all power to them for stepping above that and kind of setting the example and setting the news agenda after pretty horrible news stories. Yeah. It's interesting, actually, Raheem Sterling's comments, and we'll maybe touch on this later on, because there was a case in France of a, a game being suspended after a player reported mm. racist abuse, and Sterling saying that he actually doesn't want that um, option to be taken up. He says he'd rather not leave the field. He'd rather stay on the field and beat the, I beat think the opposition. Raheem Sterling's point has always been that focusing purely on the... Um, on the surface incidents and you know making letting allowing those to set the tone actually uh, enables governing bodies and societies in general to avoid scrutiny of that kind of inherent inbuilt racism Um, if he doesn't feel like he wants to walk off the pitch when he's been racially abused if he'd rather score a goal and you know cup his ear like he did with England in Montenegro fair play to him Mm. all right next up then we'll talk about the Champions League two Manchester sides both looking for big comeback wins will he get them it's never been easier to mess things up. Whether you're confusing vegans with dairy intolerance, offering your seat to a pregnant lady who isn't pregnant, or, like Liverpool, chucking away a seven-point lead at the top of the Premier League in a matter of weeks. Good one, lads. That's why Paddy Power do money-back specials, so not all mistakes cost you as much. Paddy Power, home of the money-back special. Applies to first bet on all losing goal scorer, correct score and what it's Paddy. Bets on the match. Max refund £10. T's and C's apply. 18 plus. Be gambleaware.org. On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. Champions League this evening. Here's Stefan. Which Champions League tie second leg will cause the biggest upset? Question mark. United to come back at New Camp. Ajax to trash another giant away. Pool somehow to collapse in Portugal. Or Caneless Spurs to finish City Hopes. What do you think, Michael? Which would be the biggest upset? Yeah, which one would be the biggest upset? Most... Which do you think is actually going to happen? None of them. None of those. All right, Stefan, there you go. Uh, Liverpool, of course, looking comfortable Thanks, for uh, after their 2-0 win at home to Porto. Juve and Ajax is delicately poised, 1-1 from Amsterdam. The Manchester sides, as we mentioned, both needing comebacks. Man City, a goal down, taking on a Spurs side who, yes, are without Kane and Deli Alley and Harry Winks as well, mm. but cope admirably against Huddersfield at the weekend. Yeah, they brush them aside as as teams I want to do against Huddersfield. Um, I, I think Winks is the... I mean, obviously, Harry Kane's a massive loss, but the fact that Winks has got another groin injury so soon after... It feels like he comes back 
shows us what we've been missing, shows us what England potentially have been missing, and then gets us picks up another injury. And obviously, Victor Wanyama played at the weekend. I can't remember. It must be a long time since he's played two games in four days. Uh, I don't know if they're going to play Eric Dyer there, who's on the bench, but that's the problem with Kevin De Bruyne coming back to form. That central midfield is going to be so hard for Spurs. Obviously, if they score, and Hyungmin Son will start, he was rested at the weekend. If they score, then City need three, but... Yeah, I fear for them. I said last week on the on the show I thought it would be a low scoring. Spurs might be able to nick a win in the first leg, but I fear for Spurs away and I'll stick okay. with that. Will Lucas Murray get another run out in the starting lineup? He deserves it, doesn't he? I mean, it'll definitely depend on depend on what the tactical plan is for Pochettino because Lorenzi did play a lot the last time when when Kane was injured. I doubt he'll go with Lorenzi though. I think did, it would. Did Lorenzi pick up an injury at the end? That might be the decision for him. I doubt he'd go with Lorenti anyway, to be honest. And I think when a player scored a hat trick like that as well, um, you just throw him in, don't you? They, really, need, to play, they need to play on the counter. If yeah. if they can get if, if Ali is injured and they can they can keep Ericsson high enough off of the pitch to kind of link play and just have Son and and Moore on the last men and hope right. to nick a goal on the counter. That's the only way they're going to do it. But Ali will play, a, won't he? That sounds Ali a pretty play, good way. Oh, you think uh, Ali will play with I this? think he'll play, yeah. He's, yeah. In, he's injured at the... Mm, I don't know. Well, he's broken two bones, hasn't he, in his hand, but, I mean, pe- oh, his wrist, but people have people have played with that before with, with a lightweight Jamie cast Vardy on. was better with his broken hand, wasn't he? Was but, he? Yeah, well, he, had that, he, kept it, he actually kept the cast on after it had for healed luck, for it? luck. Yeah. Are you allowed to do that? I wasn't going to stop him. Yeah. yeah. I always have visions of Eric Cantona scoring yes. that, that free kick against Arsenal with a broken hand as well. Right. So. What do you think, Michael? I think City have to play quite cautiously mm-hmm. because I know it's an obvious thing, but if they concede one goal, they've then got to score three. So I just think they've got to play for the clean sheet almost because they probably will score one, maybe two goals. So I think if, if they really throw the fullbacks forward, you know, Spurs have got the players to to hit them on the counter-attack. So I think we'll see the fullbacks quite narrow and quite a structured team from Guardiola. I can imagine people being slightly bemused by his team selection one way or the other as as tends to happen in these Champions League games but the City have been kind of warming up for that kind of performance with recent games not so much the one at Palace but we've seen them kind of eking out these 1-0 wins I thought it was interesting to hear Guardiola basically say pre-match Palace that he he rested players against Spurs because he felt that Palace was the bigger game and whatever happened at at Spurs, he would back his team to overcome it in the second leg, which wow. is a hell of a gamble. He played it cagey. It was, the idea was to be cagey, yeah. wasn't it? Effectively. I, I wonder with Guardiola as well, sometimes, ah, this is this is real nitpicking, considering his record, but I do wonder sometimes whether he overthinks these type of situations. Do you think? That's not something that's been suggested. No. <laughs> I mean, he's quite intense, isn't he? Uh, when it comes to this occasion, you just wonder how much his recent Champions League record being as bad as it is in these type of matches at this stage of the competitions right. in the last what seven eight years, how much that does play on his mind? Because, yeah. like you say, you know he is a man known for analysing, scrutinising every last little drop of detail. Daniel, you got City going through three 0 Wow, really, Ian? Three 0 City, but three nil is a push. It is, mm. isn't it? Mm. Just about fancy Spurs, actually. Do you? Oh, mm. God. Clean sheet at home is a really big deal, isn't it? Going away second leg, so yeah. Certainly is. What about Man United? Can they do a, a Man United in Barcelona, handily enough, in Barcelona? Has Solskjaer ever been to the new Camp before? <laughs> <laughs> Did you it, see that thing? Really the latest one was that story about I, I didn't park in the manager's spot at, right. the, at Carrington because I thought that was Ferguson. I mean... 
it, you normally allow another people turning into a parody. Don't don't deliberately make yourself a parody. I, I, I was curious about that because it's not a direct quote from him. It's sources okay. at the training ground suggest that he turned down Parkey and Sir Alex Ferguson at uh, the manager's spot because he said no, that's Sir Alex. I mean, all evidence spot. at the moment points to it, though. Um, I mean, this might be quite a logistical thing in the car park. Like Ferguson's still coming in to train. Exactly. It might, you know, he's he's been unwell. It might be the car, the, the, the space next to the door. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Making me sound like I, I hate <laughs> the aged and disabled. Those goods. It's no, no, but, uh, do, is there a? Do you think there's a social backlash underway then? Uh, I don't think there's a backlash. No. Uh, I think there is a. Well, firstly, I think there's a, a, a returning to about the right level i think they overachieve they overachieve in terms of results as per you know against performance and now they are getting about right but right. they were Do dreadful against west ham indeed and you were there ian i'm mm. wondering as well whether the press are beginning to tire of his his his, his sunny truisms yeah they are yeah yeah uh, when he first arrived you know any mention of sir alex ferguson or trebles or 1999 or any of that was was met with sort of a lot of typing and a lot of scribbling because people were quite excited about those type of lines. Um, and after the Barcelona game, Ollie was sort of talking generally about going there and the challenge for the team and stuff like that in quite sensible terms. And at the end, just couldn't resist the little nod of nostalgia that he, he put into the uh, he put into the end of the answer about we know a few things about scoring from set pieces in the new camp. And he actually heard a groan, an audible groan, <laughs> in the press conference. Fair enough, though. Yeah, and you he's sort of joking to use those. Well. But he's sort okay. of joking as well. He, he did have a, a sort of smirk, a smile on his face at the time, and I wonder how much he's actually aware that people are probably a little bit fed up of it and he's okay. just going to continue well, anyway. you saw the performance against West Ham, which you, you, you described as, what, dreadful? Pick yeah, not, not good at all, yeah. And you saw the one at home to, to Barcelona uh, last week. Yes. Do you see any chance of them turning this around? Like uh, they did at PSG? No, only because I don't think Barcelona will play as badly as they did at Old Trafford. Having scored the early goal, Messi basically dropped into central midfield and they stuck with what they had and they didn't try and push for any more goals, which I think was probably a mistake because I think United were probably there for the taking, but they obviously wanted to guard against, um, protect the lead they had and I think they'll play better in the new Camp than they did at Old Trafford. Um, they will be without their goal scorer, Luke Shaw, on this occasion. Indeed, yes. Um, I think they'll manage... Okay, just a couple of things on that. Yep. And PK said before uh, that first leg that it was really, really important that if you had the chance to score a few goals against Manchester United uh, in this first leg, that it was really important for Barcelona to do that and try and kill the tie from the first leg, because he sort of not only was the the PSG example used, but he was sort of talking about how the spirit of the club generally they're not the type of team that you want to leave alive. I think was the the line from him. Um, also as well picking up on Luke Shaw that's a massive issue for United in, in my opinion he's probably the one defender that you wouldn't really want to lose um, for this particular game because of him playing on that left hand side and I actually think him and um, McTominay a little bit but also um, Chris Smalling dealt pretty well with, with Lionel Messi mm. at it, Old Trafford It is improbable United doing this but then so was Roma getting that win last season pushing Barcelona are at the quarterfinals for the third year in a row. Not the third year in a row, but Roma have done it. But they have got a disastrous record at this point. Michael, do you want to take a contrary stance on this? <laughs> Not for the sake of it. I, I just think Barcelona is so good at retaining the ball, they'll frustrate United for long periods. Okay. And I think United will have to push higher and actually go searching for the ball because otherwise Busquets will just stand on it and if no one comes, he'll, he'll pass it sideways and that will happen 
700 times, so I think it's an uphill struggle for United. <laughs> it was okay. really weird in the West Ham game in that obviously Solskjaer made some changes, but you'd think he would at least say to those players that came in, let's try and win this game in this maybe in the style that we tend to play against Barcelona. They gave West Ham so much space in midfield. The sort of space that if they replicate that against Barcelona, they'll lose by three or four goals. You know, Oli said that afterwards. That it, if we repeat this performance, we'll get beat three or four. You know that right. that was the exact well, eight, point. West Ham had what, eighteen shots that they had. Yeah, and they had. I think they had fifty-eight percent possession at really? Old Trafford. I mean, I don't think that's ever happened, even when you had really great West Ham sides in the past. I've certainly never seen it in my lifetime at Old Trafford from a West Ham team. And like Daniel was saying, just the freedom of it all. And United scored two goals from from penalties. And, and other than that, you know, you, the chances that that came. In the game, you're, you're thinking back to West Ham's goal, which was actually onside. He should have been allowed. Yeah. Yeah. The Absolutely. You're thinking to Antonio producing a, you know, a fantastic save out of David De Gea in the second half at one all. Also hitting the bar at one all. You know, it's those type of. Yeah. It's not Manchester United coming close or anything like that. It, West Ham could and maybe should have won that game. Mm. Oh, one last thing about United, who remain just outside the top four, have uh, you? You were there at the weekend. Yes. Have uh, Old Trafford security managed to find out why that huge sex toy was at the bottom of the... Which dugout was it? Was it home or away? Next to the home dugout, yes. Yeah, just next to it. And there was this large black... Mm. I've seen it, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I do sit near there, but I, I can confirm it wasn't in my possession at All any right. point during the afternoon. Okay. That's was the uncertainty, it, shall we? It wasn't Ian's. Was it Alan Irwin's? Oh, the Sky Sports you... News reporter. Oh, I can't, I That's can't what you're looking that. at. That could have been any of us, that. Were you there? Yeah. Uh, I was reporting uh, from Finch Farm on that deadline day. Okay. It's like the butterfly effect, but we've been Yeah, yeah, this is, the, uh, sorry, this, <laughs> this is the... This was the Everton Sky Sports News transfer deadline day report. Yeah. 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 Do you think you were the only person that was in both places? There is sort of a... <laughs> interesting. Yeah, there's a link there, isn't there? So, well, I'm never, moving on. Elementary. All right. yeah. Porto, Liverpool. A old denominator, if you like. Yeah, nice. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Um, Porto Liverpool. Liverpool 2-0 up as they head to the Dragao where they won 5-0 just last season. Manny got a hat-trick there. Will he get rested? Is Klopp going to basically give some of the lads a breather in this one, do you think, Michael? Maybe one or two. I don't think there'll be wholesale changes because um, I was at the first leg of this game oh. and I thought Porto showed some promise going forward. Mariga up front was really dangerous. He scored in his six previous Champions League games. He actually spent the day of the first leg being violently ill, I gather. Right. So yeah. it was a surprise he started. So if he has a, a week of training and eating properly, then then I'm sure he'll be much more dangerous. He Scored did at score at the weekend, yeah. yeah. Your man's and back as well, Michael. Herrera. Uh, Herrera, yeah. yeah who also Ball. scored at the weekend. Oh, nice. uh, Porto beating uh, Portimonese. Uh, Brahini scored. They didn't go top, though, because Benfica did more Benfica so we'll talk more have you have you been watching Benfica they won I saw they won 4-2 at the yeah, week, last and night it's, uh, I think they've got an 11 goal difference advantage over over Porto we'll talk more yeah. about Benfica later on oh, Felix. Uh, so yeah Hector Herrera's back uh, Michael you like him Pepe you're a big fan of him as well he's also <laughs> no. returning from suspension Liverpool have to be wary of complacency but you yeah Pepe look. was suspended that's got to be a first <laughs> doesn't it <laughs> Uh, meantime, the other Champions League quarter-final second leg is between two sides who are really impressed in the second leg of their last 16 clashes. Juventus and Ajax won one this from the game at the Johan Cruyff Arena. Um, you really struggled 
against Ajax. Do you think they're going to kind of turn it on in the second leg, or do you see Ajax doing another of those 4-1 away at the Bernabeus? I think Ajax will dominate the game again, just because I think both sides are quite content with that situation. I mean, Juve were dangerous on the counter. They had that chance at the end with uh, with Costa, didn't they? And I tend to think that they will do that again and get more goal-scoring opportunities. I also think the big blow for Ajax is Taliafico being out because right. that was such a big part of their attacking approach. They almost overloaded the right and then left him free for switches. And the nature of his booking was really strange. Did you see this? Mm. So he... <laughs> it was quite a complex situation, but there was a, a foul between oh, two players. Right. Yeah, yeah, referee played advantage. He then almost didn't realise he was playing advantage, so fouled someone. The referee brought it back for the free kick, but also booked Taliafico, which, in the letter of the law, is fine. But I can't imagine that there's ever been a situation where a team has been so disadvantaged by referee trying to play an advantage, and I thought he was really, really good. So There's also question blow. marks over Frankie de Jong after he was taken off about half an hour into their performance of the weekend. Just the six goals for Ajax at home to Excelsior. A hat-trick from Huntelaar, another two from Tadic. Uh, but yeah, nobody's quite sure. I think the club have been quite cagey about whether De Jong uh, was just, whether it was precautionary or, or whether he's actually going to miss out on this game, which would have potentially a huge impact against the UV side, who are, by contrast, welcoming back all sorts of players, potentially mm. like, like Emery Chan, a lot of talk that Chiellini's going to be fit as well, who'd be a very welcome return indeed. It's tough though, isn't it, for a player who's, I mean, it's a hamstring problem, we understand, for De Jong and you know, even even as a a very minor thing and being taken off as a precaution, but the game being so soon, mm-hmm. it, it, that's a massive risk, you know. And I, I guess because of the occasion, it might be one that Ajax do risk. But it, you know, easily one minute in, that hamstring can go. You know, players are always very very nervous playing with any sort of hamstring niggle at all, even if it's been sort of three or four days wow. um, recovery. I thought their best player first leg actually was Donny van, van der Beek, mm. um, who I must say is, is one who's gone slightly under my radar, but uh, his man marking of Pjanic and then pushing past him to get into goal-scoring situations I thought was really impressive. He doesn't get as much uh, praise as De Jong, but he was brilliant. Generally, their press, though, on Juve, Juve were completely bamboozled by now. Yeah, my fear for Ajax would be, uh, over the years, I think Juventus are quite good at learning lessons from first legs uh-huh. and, and just the players adjusting you know, things themselves, not even necessarily a tactical change, but just players realising this is my challenge, this is what I'm up against and improving for the second leg. Well, well certainly that's what happened in the, the last 16 when they were 2-0 losers against Atletico Madrid and, and, and quite the opposite mm. when they hosted the... There's a lot of Champions League know-how as well in that Juve squad, isn't there? I mean, that was the one thing that struck me about them at Old Trafford earlier on this season. It, it was men against boys in terms of the level of experience some of those players had and especially now in the knockout stages. I mean, that that is... a for me, is a massive advantage for Juve over Ajax. In terms of those with not so much experience, Moise Kane got another goal this weekend. He's now on seven, which means he's the, the highest-scoring teenager ever for Juve, breaking Alex Del Piero's debut season. So, you know. And bad. also getting a run-out as Juve made radical changes to their lineup uh, this weekend and promptly lost 2-1 at Spal was a young Englishman, Ian. Tell us more. Yeah, Steffi Mavid- Mavididi. Steffi Mavididi. Um, he's not a player that I noticed moving to, to UV back in the summer. We were talking about it before we came we came on um, and I was sort of asking Michael and Daniel about it. Michael knew a little bit more than I did. But yeah, he's born in Derby. Um, he joined UV last summer from, from Arsenal. He's 20 years old. Um, England under 20 international. He, he got a run out towards the end. And it be interesting to see how he gets on because... 
you know, again, we've we talked about it so much about the, the guys over in Germany. It's not a path that well travelled in recent years for young English players. So good luck to him. Although any Luko's doing a, a, a similar, well, a slightly more high-profile job for Juve's women's team. Yeah, Arsenal have lost a couple of promising young players. Marcus Maguire at Barcelona B as well. And you have to say it's a bit of a failing at Arsenal, I think, over the last 20 years. Of all the top clubs, you expect them to be bringing through youngster after youngster. But there aren't that many that have come through and made it in the, uh, in the first team, considering this is kind of Wenger's legacy, really. Yeah, absolutely. Iron Ramsey, of course, will be joining. Mm. Stefan Levy. Next season, yeah. I mean, it, I, mean yeah. I was sort of meaning for young for young players who are, right. you know, he he was joining, leaving Arsenal to join yeah. essentially Juve's reserve side, you know, and continue his development there before stepping up. Yeah, to which the first he did. Team. He was down in City of Chi last last season. Yeah, yeah. So it's interesting. Yeah, doing a Pogba as it's known. Yeah. Uh, right, Connor Cartwright. Quick note on IX Juve from last week says uh, James Horncastle's got it wrong. As an avid fan of all things house and techno, I almost choked on my disco biscuits when James classified that horrendous music as techno, the genre of music DJ Norman was subjecting your listeners to, which sounded, by the way, like this. Could be called, Daniel. Happy Hardcore. What do you know about Happy Hardcore, Daniel? Uh, Little enough for me to remain... With dignity intact. Okay, happy hardcore, hardcore, or even hard house. But never, ever, ever, says Connor Cartwright, techno. So now you know. All right, we'll take a quick break with that. And then, ooh, what do you want to talk about? It could be Europa League or it could be the absolutely massive game at the Amex on Tuesday. We'll find out, listener, after this. Daniel, hmm? it's growing on me. Now, Daniel and Michael, you're both taking part in the London Festival of Football Writing this May. Uh, what are you going to be talking about? Uh, I'm going to be talking about 250 Days, uh, Eric Cantona's Kung Fu Kick and the Making of Manchester United. Mm. Fancy a bit of that. Saturday, 25th of May. But anyway, you can find out all the details at londonfestivaloffootballwriting.org. Londonfestivaloffootballwriting.org. The tickets are dead cheap. You can either get a festival pass, that's 30 quid, or individual tickets for £7.50, the likes of which will gain you entrance to seeing Michael discussing with Adam Hurry, zonal marking the making of modern European football. That's on Thursday, the 23rd of May. Nice, I'm sorry to say that tickets have sold out. Oh, but you can, my you, word. You can put your name on a waiting list, and if there's enough people, then we'll do a second one. There'll be some at mine, if, if you want to get some overspill. I'm, I'm happy to take Michael's seconds. Wow, you sold out. Fantastic. Oh, by the way, there's a promo code. You can get those tickets even cheaper by entering the promo code TOTALLY. You get 20% off. That is good. They're virtually paying you to go. It's now worth coming. (laughs) Yeah. Might get some friends interested if it's money off. Always a good idea. £6 to come and see me. Quick word on Europa League. Yeah. Because it happened last Thursday. And it's going to happen all over again this time. I was at Arsenal. Oh, were you? You That was Napoli. Well, anyway, Arsenal. Moreover, we were mentioning Aaron Ramsey. Bosh. That's my match report. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, they look comfortable. I'm sure Napoli will be better at home, but still, talk about getting caught cold. Yeah, it was a funny game where I think both managers were disappointed at the end. I think oh. Emery was disappointed Arsenal didn't finish off the tie and Ancelotti disappointed they didn't get an away goal because there was a period in the second half where Arsenal thought we were defending too high up the pitch and Insigne, who was... 
you know, a bit of an injury doubt before the game. Looked absolutely fantastic in the second half. I think Napoli will rally and have a serious spell of pressure here. And I do think Arsenal may wobble. I think the consolation for Arsenal is that whereas Socrates is suspended uh, domestically, he will be fresh. And I think they will need him because he's, I think, their most solid penalty box defender. Hmm. Okay. Chelsea, meanwhile, have a 1-0 lead from their away from their trip to Prague. A courtesy of Marcus Alonso. Elsewhere in the Europa League, Valencia have a 3-1 advantage against uh, after the first leg at the Mastaya uh, over Villarreal. Two goals in stoppage time there, actually. And Raphael Honigstein's pick for the trophy, Eintracht Frankfurt, mm. are teetering on the brink of an exit after losing their first leg 4-2 to Benfica yeah. at the Stadio de Luge. Now, Benfica, there was a... Um, a hat trick in this game from the player everybody's talking about, Jao Felix. Indeed. Who this weekend went and added another. What did he get? He got two assists and another. Did you see his goal? Uh, Benfica were playing Vittorio Setubal. They once again won 4 2. And he, he lashes this. I'm not sure who the ball comes from, but somebody just crosses the ball. And he lashes it in from some distance. He's an absolute, absolutely stunning talent, this guy. Yeah, we. Typically, we have needed to be slightly wary of of strikers in Portugal scoring hatfuls of goals and then going elsewhere and struggling slightly. My obvious example is probably the worst Premier League striker I've ever seen, Ricky Van Voorswinkel, um, who scored go- uh, hatfuls of goals at Sporting and was dreadful. At um, we um, termed him at Football Three Six Five, Ricky Van Dogcock. Crikey. Uh, because of Wolf's Winkle. Well, don't go making up any names like that about no. Jao Felix, who's only... No, no, yes. Uh, not going to pour, pour cold water all over well, Tom his... Tom Kunder, a.k.a. Portugal, <laughs> yes. he says... Well, he points out it's 16 goals in 37 games now for Jao Felix. In 25 years, says Tom, following Portuguese football, I can't remember another teenager making such an impact. In his debut it's, it's also worth saying that Portugal, for so, so long, one of the themes of kind of our footballing education is Port- Portugal desperately needing a centre-forward that can score got regular goals in international football. What's so. up with Pauletta? Exactly. Um, uh, yeah, it should also be said that Eintracht went down to 10 after about half an hour in oh, that yeah. game, which sk- killed them. But the, getting that goal means 2-0 at home is not out of the question. Well, we'll see. Gets the mighty Jao Felix and company. Jao Felix, incidentally, was six years in the youth system of Porto, and then they released him. No way. Yeah. Ouch. And he's going to go for 50, 60 million, probably. Right. Uh, well, there's more foreign football talk on the way, including a pretty important update on the whole Drake curse thing. Uh, if you are a sportsman and you are anywhere near Drake, I urge you, do not let him take a picture with you, because the consequences are serious. If that hotline blings, don't answer. Absolutely. Nice. That's a Drake I assume reference. he sings that song. Yeah. Good to know. Uh, back to the Premier League and Tuesday at the MX. Uh, Brighton will be hosting Cardiff. Oh, my word. Brighton are reeling from defeat in which Jonathan Pearce was desperate to describe as a relegation dogfight against Bournemouth. Were you, did you enjoy Jonathan's stylings over the Brighton-Bournemouth game? I did enjoy today? one bit where he said, and the cross comes in, it's 1-0. No, it should have been 1-0. I thought that was a classic piece <laughs> yeah. of commentary. That's not the same, is it? <laughs> the thing is, the maths, the figures, the table is not on his side. A lot of people uh, were commenting on social media, what's he going on about? Bournemouth are safe, pretty much, and Brighton are five points clear of Cardiff with a game in hand, but 
John O'Pierce, I suspect, has looked at the fixtures coming up, which sees them basically finishing off the season away at Arsenal and home to Man City, so could easily be nil point there. Before that, they're home to Newcastle and have Spurs away and Wolves away, and this Tuesday, that game in hand against Cardiff. Seagulls have lost the last four games in League and Cup, conceding 10 goals and scoring none. Tuesday, then, they'll be taking on a Cardiff team who are angry. Yeah, they are angry. Um, Brighton have, (laughs) more long-term, they've won three league games since December the 4th, which is really wretched. And there are, for the first time, serious murmurings of discontent amongst supporters. I think, to an extent, Hewton is a victim of his own success, and it's only a few months ago since everyone was kind of saying, oh, why is he not talking for bigger jobs, etc., etc.? But his default football is negative, is to be safety first, and it's not working at the moment because they're defending. Duncan Duffy, who have been brilliant pretty much ever since promotion, have fallen off a cliff, um, and so they're conceding too what, many goals. Why is that? Uh, they look. They didn't look very intense. They don't concede many weekend. goals, though. That that is really, really rare for that. To, I can't remember so Brighton capitulating like that. Team at home. Who themselves I think have been in horrible. The big issue oh. is that their their football very much like Newcastle's worked on Friday. Their football relies on the big centre forward holding the ball up, and Glenn Murray looks goosed. Basically, he looks very tired. He didn't start and the game though. Exactly. Yeah. He look, he's, he's he's been in and out of the team. He's knackered, and it just means there's no. There's no respite for Brighton, so teams are just getting to play on the front foot against them. Anti knockout was an embarrassment on right. on, on So Saturday. yeah, that had a that bit of a bear. What was yeah, the scoreline yeah. when he it went? It was two 0 when he got two sent nil, off. Yeah. Right. The thing is with Brighton, you look at their home record. You know, I think only Burnley has scored more than two goals there all season in the Premier League, and that includes, of course, people like Liverpool and they only scored one there. Tottenham going there, City final day of the season there at Brighton. So it is really, really unusual. Does it unusual. speak to there being some kind of Background issue at the well, club. Well, yeah, the rumours mm. are that the play, some of the players are, are slightly unhappy at the negative tactics uh, and have kind of made their feelings clear. And whenever you lose five at home to a team that have been wretched away from home for a long time, um, it points to a pretty significant issue. Now, if they fail to, as long as they avoid defeat against Cardiff, I think they'll stay up. But right. the club's kind of got some big decisions to make over the summer because if they if they start next season how they've ended this suddenly they're in a bit of a rut. and It'd probably do them a favour, the fact they've got this Cardiff game, because the, the last thing I think you'd want if you're Brighton is having to stew on that sort of result for any any longer than you need to. And the fact that they've got a game at home where they can get that result straight out of the system right away it is probably a positive. That said, if you don't beat Cardiff or right. well, maybe a, draws a draw okay. would be okay now. It could keep that yeah. five point margin. Yeah, Cardiff. But if, you've talked about the you've talked about the other games though. They might not get yeah. another point. You, know? you, you mentioned Brighton's fixture. If Cardiff's last four is also so Cardiff's absolutely last, horrible, isn't it? Uh, they after Brighton they have Liverpool at home, Fulham away, Palace at home, but and United left. away. So you can see them picking up maybe six points there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's not out of the question. Can, can Brighton avoid defeat without Anthony knockout? At home to Cardiff on Tuesday, Michael. Yeah, and I think the absence of knockout might work quite well for that fixture because I think they'll need to be solid and compact and disciplined and he's very much not that kind of player. Okay, what, what, what about Cardiff where one of the big surprises of the weekend was 
Neil Warnock's self-control as referee Mike Dean repeatedly robbed his battling Cardiff side of a, a, a chance of getting a result I d- at Burnley. I don't think the the penalty he wanted was a penalty, though. Which one did he... he the one that Mike Dean changed his mind on. Oh, yeah. I don't, I don't think that is. I think he got the right decision in the end. There's what an element with Warnock of just... But there's an element with Warnock of because he gets angry about it, everyone assumes there's some massive controversy that's stitched up his team, whereas actually they played really poorly mm. and... They didn't deserve the, the Mike Dean penalty that he thought they should have had, and they're going down. And the Gunnarsson one, though? Would you not have given him a... Maybe, be but... Charitable but it's not, it's not... It's not a, we believe, we buy into these refereeing controversies because it's all anyone talks about now. Mm. Like it forms a backbone... Of, I've said it on here before, but the backbone of Match of the Day coverage and stuff now. So, because Warnock then, he reacts to it as well, every time there's a decision that goes against Cardiff it automatically becomes a big story. It doesn't right. mean it was a penalty. It was, okay. a, it was the correct decision, you know, if you if you analyse it, to not give a penalty. I think it's the process that you can understand why Cardiff are probably upset about it because having been awarded it, you know, was it 1-0 at the time as well? So, you know, it's it's a, obviously even 0-0 maybe at the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nil, nil. Yeah. So it's a massive moment, that, isn't it, really? And for mm-hmm. a referee to give it and then, and then undo it, you know, you can understand why they would be frustrated with that, even if it's the correct decision eventually. Another fine performance from Burnley's Dwight McNeil and from the incredible goal machine that is Chris Wood. Mr Underscore says, who is the best Wood or Woods to play football? <laughs> All Wood-related items for surnames are welcome. Oh. oh. In fact, maybe Woods 11, says Mr Underscore. By now, it's not much of a... You've not given as much... I'll have Chris Woods, the goalkeeper. You can have Chris Wood, <laughs> Michael Branch. These are misters. <laughs> Good. Yeah. I, I had a look into Stefano... Oh, did you? Sorry. I had a look into well, it. Yeah, I just, I just couldn't see the wood for trees, to be honest. <laughs> oh, wow. I just have Nottingham Forest. Can you have Bannister? You say, can we ban Ian? Okay, Stefan Oakes. These are Ryan nice. Woods, Leroy Fur. Oh yeah, that's clever. Fair okay, yeah, Michael's gone. Kingstonian had a player last season called Evan Green. Oh, nice. A bit like Evergreen, isn't it? Yeah, it is quite like it. Yeah. <laughs> Near enough. Actually, West Close enough for no prep time. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I Come was going to say, I can't do much better than that. What about Forrest? James Forrest, who scored that brilliant goal for Celtic in the cup tie against Aberdeen this weekend. Craig Forrest as well, wasn't the well, goalkeeper? Yeah, I've done Chris Forrest Woods conceded nine goals at Old Trafford, anyway, didn't right. he? While we're down there, uh, strangest result possibly of the weekend, Fulham beating Everton 2-0. No, this is this was in the form guide because oh. as, as uh, any Premier League stats fans will know, Fulham against Everton is the game that always ends in a home win. Oh. So there's been 28 Premier League games between them and 23 of them have been a home win. Okay. And I'm delighted to learn that even you know even with a relegated side this stat still pulls through. Brilliant. Okay, Fulham with a clean sheet and everything. Yeah, that'll probably be enough by the sound of it to get Scott Parker the job on in a full-time basis which um, both Tom Kearney was asking for. Yeah. Some sort of sums up how bad Fulham's season's been that you can win one home game and and that get you the permanent job, but yeah, mm, looks okay. like he's going to get it. Saints look like they've sealed safety with a three-one win over Wolves, who seem to be whose season's kind of fizzling out a bit. But they've got a negative goal difference now, Wolves, which is weird considering all the pros they've been getting. Yeah, they're still mm. up in eighth though. Mm. They, 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 they could still finish seventh. They're only three points behind Leicester. But it's a bizarre season in that they've taken. I think they've taken one point. Two points a game for away game against the top six, and mm. 0.2 points away game against the bottom five. It's just a, real, a nonsense season. Yep. Leicester, by the way, who lost at home to Newcastle, and Daniel, you were there. Very quick match summary for anyone who didn't see. Yeah, it. I was in the away end actually with oh. with mates who are, with Newcastle fans, and 
I know they get talked up all the time, but the Newcastle fans were absolutely magnificent. That basically confirmed them staying up. And they stayed after the full-time whistle for kind of 20, 25 minutes in the stand chanting because Benitez was still waiting to come out and do his Sky interview. The, what the, were they the chanting? Uh, they were chanting one of their Newcastle chants. What was it, Daniel? <laughs> uh, it is, who's that team we call United? Who's that team we all adore? They play in black and white. Something about a fight, I think, which is a shame. Yeah. Uh, the the conclu- the one conclusion I'd make from the game is that this probably pitches the two best strikers outside the top six, I think, with all well, respect Vardy to Raul Jimenez. Yeah, Rondon is it, it, it's not particularly pretty sometimes, but the way he holds up the ball, I can't remember which manager, but there was a Premier League manager this season that said Rondon's the best player, best stri- centre-forward we've had to play against, or the hardest centre-forward we've had to okay. play against. His, he, holding up the ball is... Incredible, and he's left so isolated as well. well he's a very good free kick taker as yes. well, which I didn't expect yeah. for a big man. Hit he's the got bar, this, yeah. yeah, he's got this nice technique where he side fits it really powerfully. Oh. I think that's a good result for Liverpool, by the way, because if Newcastle are safe, I don't think Benitez will want to take points off Liverpool penultimate game of the season mm. and deny them their long-awaited Premier League title. Interesting. We've got Connor Cody on the final day, happy to score an own goal against Liverpool as well. <laughs> 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 Okay, hang on, I've got this text message, and this is from producer Ben. Um, for uh, Mr. Underscore's uh, wood-based team, Arno Splinter, who's a Netherlands footballer, it says here on Dutch Wikipedia. So you've had to dig a little bit for that one, producer Ben. Nice one, though. <laughs> okay, after this, crazy goings-on around Europe and in the Championship. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsors of Melchester Rovers. Find out more at RoyTheRoversOfficial.com. The Championship. Leeds, where oh, we'll be tonight for Totally Football Live, are back up to second after they beat Sheffield Wednesday 1-0. Sheffield United could only draw 1-1 with Millwall, so they trail Leeds now by three points. Aston Villa made it ooh, eight wins in a row, beating the previously high-flying Bristol City 2-1. That's nice. Tony Pulis got his second win in a row with Borough because mm. they've been in trouble. And Ipswich are down. Down, Daniel. Yes, they are, yes. And it's been coming for about five and a half months. Okay, they're going to be in League One, where they will be facing next season. Lincoln City. Bang. The incredible Cowley brothers continuing their march up the footballing pyramid. Who else will they be facing? Well, possibly Joey Barton, depending on what happens to him after his extraordinary rock. Well, alleged rock. Better. Yeah, okay. (laughs) With Barnsley manager, uh, Joey Barton, of course, in charge of Fleetwood. Barnsley manager Daniel Stendhal emerged from the tunnel after they beat Fleetwood uh, 4-2 on Saturday. Emerged from the tunnel with blood pouring from his face and police apparently had to pull... Well, there's a suggestion that the forces of law enforcement had to pull our Joey off Daniel. Seems a strange punishment. Um, The... um, The the amusing image, the most amusing image away from the serious trouble was a, a police officer who had clearly been sent into the car park to go and get or stop Joey Barton leaving, who ran past the car that Joey Barton was sat in the front seat in to go and try and find him, and Barton just drove out the training ground and then had to stop outside the ground. It was great. Oh, right. It's all very serious business, though, should okay. be said. We'll, we'll have more of that kind of thing in the Totally Football League show, where they'll also be discussing the nine-goal thriller between Coventry and Sunderland. Uh, we also have a totally Scottish football show, as you may know. They will discuss the Scottish Cup final, which will see Hearts heading to Hamden to take on Celtic, who beat Aberdeen 3-0. Neil Lennon still on for the treble. 
Andrew Slave and JJ Bull and Laura Brennan will be in for that. Might be actually up now, even as we speak. Golanto, our Italian football podcast, you can hear Gabriele Marcotti lamenting the exit of Chievo, the Flying Donkeys. They're now mathematically down, and Gab will be most distressed about that. Ian, he hates Chievo. Oh. Really hates Chievo. Mm. Um, plus, we'll be talking about whatever mouldy or bit of history we what's, decide to dig up. What's he got against Chievo? Oh, we'll tune in and find out. Okay, I'll yeah, ask him idea. that question, yeah. and that'll be the show, basically. Okay, I'm Yeah, set. Gab. Germany, meanwhile, there was a, a flurry of excitement as Dortmund briefly went back on top of the Bundesliga. Two early goals from Jaden Sancho putting them in the lead at home to Mainz. Mainz made it 2-1, but then ooh, Bayern came back and beat Dorf, Dusseldorf 4-1. So they're back on top. And hello, France. <laughs> so now we've been talking. Who was asking about the, the Drake curse? Daniel. I was, were. yeah. Okay. Not, not so really basically, we, we mentioned... Uh, previously that he'd taken a picture with Jadon Sancho and that was right before Dortmund lost 5-0 at Bayern Munich. He took a picture with Aubameyang right before Arsenal lost at Everton, although, you know. And he also took a picture with Aguero right before the Spurs game. I think it was the Monday before the Spurs game, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. Although, why was Sergio Aguero at a concert? I don't know, but anyway, he took a picture with him. Has he? Yeah. Okay. And Aguero misses the penalty and blah, 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 blah. This weekend... There's a picture of Drake with Levin Kurzawa of PSG, who you will ref- recall were off at Lille. All they had to do was avoid defeat and they would have won the title. What happened, Michael? Lost 5-1. Indeed. Heaviest, man league, sent off. heaviest league defeat in 19 years. 19 years. PSG. Yeah. And I mean, they were rubbish for a lot of that as yeah. well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's true, yeah. Bernat scored and then got sent off. Is that right. yeah, sending yeah. off kind yeah, of yeah. ruined And ruined that's when it game. all fell apart. Yeah. And Lille can be quite a decent team. I do wonder if well, uh, Thomas Tuchel as well. Yeah, fair. but I do worry if maybe. I mean, well, yeah, I wonder if Thomas Tuchel will. What will happen this summer? I mean, Julian constantly says that he'll absolutely stay. He'll absolutely stay. But mm. tumbling out of the Champions League at home to Man United and kind of limping over the title line in league on is not a good look is it it takes a gloss off it doesn't it you know yeah. you're sort of talking well, about a team that's absolutely dominated league on you know for the entire campaign i think this is only the second game they've lost all season but that was their second chance to actually get over the line obviously everyone will remember the true promoting miss that cost them the week before mm. and now they've got a third chance uh, on wednesday against Nantes to do it and when you've dominated so much throughout the season to then that final bit just to get over the line it just just takes a gloss off it a little bit doesn't it uh, Lille's goal, incidentally, was headed uh, fifth goal. Sorry, was headed in by Jose Fonte, huh. who I think is probably the only player to win the European Championships and the Johnston Paint Trophy. But if I'm wrong, please correct me, listeners. Who did you win the JPT with? Southampton. Southampton yeah. Okay, back in the day. yeah, he was. He, they signed him when he was in League One, so he really rose up through the divisions. Oh, brilliant, nice one. Uh, on Friday in France, uh, Amiens' game at Dijon was suspended for five minutes, as we mentioned earlier, when Amiens captain Prince Guano told the ref he was being racially abused. Uh, a fan was later arrested and the, the game resumed. Essentially, uh, I was talking to Dermot Gallagher about this subject uh, last week as well, and he said um, that in his in his idea that the referee should be in control of, of the situation. So um, he wanted you know a player to come to him and say to him about what had happened, and then the referee and the, the match officials did take the decision to, to appropriately deal with the situation. He said that, in, to his mind, was better than the, the player taking action themselves. No, but, I think I think that's, that mm, totally makes sense. It's yeah. just so rare to actually see a, a, a referee suspend a game. 
Remember, in Italy, it happened when they they had this rule ages ago that games would be suspended if there were offensive banners. And the only time it happened that I can remember was when Kalina uh, stopped a game because there was an anti-referee banner. It was a referee insulting <laughs> Catherine the Ghost. And charged the, everything else, yeah, you're fine. Anyway, ooh, did you see the own goal for all eternity? In MLS. Yes. Oh, I thought you meant the one in the semi final of the women's FA Cup. Oh, Ericsson. That was was unfortunate. It's just inexplicable. It's one of those own goals. It just bounces off her foot, doesn't it? Well, yeah, but. This is Man City beating Chelsea 1 0 with. Bearing in mind it's the 92nd minute, it's 0 0. Chelsea have been the better team. The cross comes in from Demi Stokes and it's just going basically into an area of the Chelsea penalty area. There's three centre halves, Uh, there's no City forward of any description anywhere near them uh, and she just I don't even know what she was trying to do but sort of it bounce, half bounces her half she's trying to clear it and just loops into the into the corner okay significantly worse than that I have to say having oh, seen really? both yeah. wow yeah. Okay. this is Sean Johnson who is the NYCFC New York City FC goalkeeper and how to describe <laughs> what happens in the game against Minnesota it's 2-2 it's the worst Confident first touch I've ever seen. Right, so the ball is passed back to him, and he what's he, he, he kind of makes some as if just uh, goalkeepers do quite a lot sweep it no kind of sweep it with the outside of their foot to push it out to give them some space then run and kick it, but he but he then he sweeps it straight he back, back into his own goal his basically. Goal, yes. yeah. Oh, that Amazing. is significantly think, worse. I've just watched it now. Yeah, I think the consolation not for the goalkeeper is that he got enough of a touch so that it's his own goal and not the outfielder's ah. own goal. Okay, yeah. you know, because mm-hmm. sometimes, for example, Gary Neville shouldn't be credited with that own goal that went under Paul Robinson's foot because mm. it's not his fault. It's Paul Robinson's foot, or the divots, or the divot, or the groundsman's fault. You're yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that game finished three-three. By the way. In other exciting MLS action news, Frank de Boer's Atlanta got a big win. Yeah, two nil away at New England Revolution. Fair to say that de Boer, de Boer's managerial career needed that. Right, but he because they had Almiron, no, who was uh, everyone was very excited. The, the guy who's kind of stepping up is Ezekiel Barco, who who scored both goals. I, I know you've seen that it, it might be the first or the second. I'm not sure, but one goal is really special. Basically, he bends it about a billion miles. <laughs> it's fantastic. Oh, Barco, producer Ben points out he could get into the tree <laughs> eleven. Good, fine. Yeah, I thought you called him barcode at first. No, how no. modern would that be? Yeah. Yeah. Well, a Brazilian footballer called Argentine, barcode. Uh, Do you remember that Brazilian substitution when John Lennon replaced Michael Jackson? Because they're both there's two player two players named after obviously named after right. musicians. All so. the other way around, nobody knows. Um, but uh, speaking of barcodes, the most unfortunate story, and now we really are wandering a bit. <laughs> the most unfortunate story of the week came oh, from Argentine yes. football. And it, the I didn't realise that this was all done on Twitter. This was all graphic oh, yeah. on Twitter. And this was actually the tattoo guy. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he gets a tattoo of the QR code that will show you a Libertadores goal. By... It, will show you, it will show you the replays of a Libertadores final From on the, YouTube, yes. Right. Oh. River Boca final, isn't it? Yeah, is that's it? what it was. Okay, yeah, right. Yeah. And then, so basically, once people discovered this, and it genuinely worked, there was footage of people scanning with their phone. He's on his shin, tattoo, wasn't it? Yeah. And the, the phone then showing the, the goals. And so a fan campaign was launched to notify YouTube of the copyright. Because, like, all these goals, they're always there so the video's been taken down <laughs> but it's great yeah. someone just it, it just says right campaign to grass this guy up awful, awful. anyway very good let's find out 
about uh, odds on that on the midweek European games and more. Producer Ben talking to Paddy Power. Thank you, Jimbo. Lee Price from Paddy Power is on the line, listeners. And uh, title race, Schmeitel race, Lee. Let's talk about the Champions League. Are Spurs going to knock City out so we never have to hear the word quadruple again? Well, why not? Kane's out and Son will lead the line, presumably. So they're perfectly set up to play on the counter Tottenham. But Man City are pretty good in the front foot, aren't they? And that's why Pep's men are odds on 4-7 to seven to qualify here. Tottenham are 11-8 to, to go through. Overall, City are joint second favourites for the big Juggier trophy alongside Liverpool. They're ten to three to win the Champions League. Tottenham are more distant, fourteen to one. Barcelona, of course, the favourites. They're five to two. All right. What about United coming back and winning the tie versus Barcelona? Can they do it? If that night in Paris was one for the Romantics, I think a repeat in Barcelona might be one for the Fantasists for United. They're eight to one to turn this around and qualify. By contrast, Barcelona are one to sixteen to go through. And yes, we know this was a happy hunting ground for Solskjaer in the past, but we expect the only cries of Ole to be from the home fans. Sorry. Our friend James Horncastle is lucky enough to be going to Turin this week to see Juventus and Ajax. Can the Dutch side knock out the old lady? Well, that Ajax first leg was very impressive, wasn't it? But it didn't impress the traders. We're betting against Ajax here. Juve at home, 8-13 to to win this. Ajax are 4-1. The Dutch side will probably outplay their opponents, full of evervescent energy and attacking brilliance. And then Ronaldo will probably knock them out. He's odds on 8-11 to to score any time, because of course he will. And finally, from Champions League to Championship and the battle to get there or actually not get there, are Cardiff going to beat Brighton and give Neil Warnock something to finally smile about? Well, they need to, don't they? Else it's all over. Cardiff are 1-25 to to go down. So for context, you have to bet £25 to get a single quid back. They're doomed. Although Brighton were rocked at the weekend and then woeful form. Even so, this match we think will be a case of toddler of chips, easy picking for Seagulls. 10-11 to they win this. 10-3 to Cardiff do... 11 to 5 is a draw. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com. All prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's 18 plus only. Begambleaware.org. And when the fun stops, stop. Very good. We're off to Leeds now. I say we. I'm off to Leeds now with producer Ben. Mm. What have you got planned for your weekend? You're going off to do fan zone obs. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not. I'm covering United Barcelona from Manchester. Nice. Um, which is a, d- a different way of doing it. And I'm actually, it, I'm actually in Brussels at the weekend on a stag do. So uh, that's my week. I'm hearing nothing about that. How nice! Um, Thank how, you. Yeah. How nice, Michael. What does the week hold for you? Uh, Watford Arsenal tonight, yeah. and then I'm up to City against Spurs ah. on Saturday, which is really exciting because there's no trains to Manchester, so that Why should be that? a fun trip. I don't know. Engineering works, I expect. But it's Easter. Yeah. That's why they do it, isn't it? Okay. Are you familiar with Virgin Trains, James? <laughs> I'm about to be. Yeah. Uh, I'm at Man City Spurs on Wednesday and then Arsenal Palace this weekend. Michael's doing Arsenal City, I'm doing City Arsenal this week. Swapping's over. Unnecessary right. clarification City, admin okay, for me there. That's enough of all this kind of thing. Listener, <laughs> thank you for being with us. We're back on Thursday with Duncan Alexander. Alvaro Romeo and in other exciting <laughs> accented news that is a Barry White feel to it <laughs> yep uh, we'll be analysing all that Champions League action and so much more do join us then for now bye bye you've been listening to the Totally Football Show a Muddy Knees Media production for sales and advertising email sales at muddykneesmedia.com and don't forget to check out our other football podcasts on Spotify Apple Podcasts and everywhere else you get your audio on demand
Supporting your team can be a beautiful thing, but then come the injuries, the goal droughts and the downright disastrous defeats. That's a little bit like life really, and here at the Totally Football Show, we believe we should all support each other the way we support our team, through the good days and the bad. And that's why we're continuing to work with Calm, the campaign against living miserably, a charity dedicated to preventing male suicide. On average, 12 men take their own life every day in the UK. So that's your starting 11 and your manager every single day. And part of the problem is that many of us still feel uncomfortable talking about mental health and suicide, and this can often stop men from opening up and getting support when they need it the most. So if you're worried that someone close to you is having a tough time, check in with them and let them know that Calm is there. Every day from 5pm till midnight, Calm provide a free, confidential and anonymous helpline and web chat for any man who needs support. Visit thecalmzone.net to find out more about Calm.